I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to a couple of passages of Scripture. First Peter chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and First Peter chapter 1. First is First Peter. Let's begin in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of life and living and behavior, conversation. Let me make a comment about that, and then we'll go to Ephesians chapter 4. The Lord is coming. God has changed us from the way we used to be, and the change is making us the way we should be. And when that change is completed, he says, be ye holy. That's not a phrase that's thrown around in this modern era about Christianity. Not many people are ever really and truly challenged with being holy and living above sin because we've given place to it so much. It's become a part of your life. You're convinced you can't overcome it. Everybody struggles and you're no different, so just do the best you can. But it's got to be better than that because the way you live when you live in that way is the way you used to live. And he said in verse 14 that the way you used to live was in ignorance. That's not much of a compliment, is it? What if the Lord had said there was a time you were ignorant? Would that be offensive or would it be true? It would be true, wouldn't it? You were ignorant. You were controlled through your ignorance by the devil. You didn't know any better, so what you did was just according to how you felt. The lust of your flesh and of your mind, the pride of life, and all the things the devil promotes. But all those things are due to your ignorance, maybe by choice of what he said. And therefore, living like that means that you cannot live a holy life. You cannot even live an acceptable life to God, no matter how much church you add to it and all that. You've got to live right, but you've got to live right because of a change that God makes. Now, in Ephesians 4, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, we spoke of that just a moment ago, that uh, your mind has to be changed, doesn't it? The way you think, the way you figure out, the way you see things has to change from the way you used to, which the Bible called you did in ignorance, to something that is different on a higher level than that. Remember God said in Isaiah 55, your ways are not my ways. Because or and your thoughts are not my thought. You're not thinking right, and therefore you're doing wrong. Now, you may have heard right, but you're not thinking about it. And therefore, you're doing whatever you feel. Whatever controls you, that's what you do. So he said, again in verse 17, that you henceforth walk not as the world walks or as Gentiles walk in the uselessness and the vanity of their minds, Notice this, verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. There's a lot said there, but I want to take the word ignorance because it's the second time we've used it this morning in text. Ignorance is a dreadful thing spiritually because it means you're blind. And when you're blind, though you're a nice person, though you're a kind person, though you're a whatever kind of an individual that society approves of, spiritually, you can't be anything what God wants you to be. You can have a form of it. You can act like it. You can attend church and sing the hymns and all that, but you can never be what God wants you to be because you have a, a darkness that controls your thinking. And the author of darkness is the devil. Now, I want to talk today about ignorance and its power, because there is a power or an authority 
that goes with ignorance. And the author of ignorance is the devil. I heard a story recently how that a world ruler once caused the death of a fourth of his people. This was a despot. He was a, a ruler, just wanted to rule by force, not by consent. No voting here, just power. And in order to successfully control his people, he had to get rid of the intelligent people. So he saw to it that they were eliminated from his society, the smart people, the educated people, thinking people. Because if you can keep people in ignorance, you can control people. Just keep them out of a book. You can control them. Religions do that. I think my dad was controlled in his thinking because he was told not to read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, then you're opening yourself up to what God says. And if somebody can tell you shouldn't do that, then you'll believe whatever man tells you. And you'll walk as he did in darkness, being blind to truth an entire life. What a loss and what a tragedy that is. But ignorance is like that. See, ignorance doesn't mean that you're dumb. I mean, you can be very intelligent and be ignorant. In fact, some of the most intellectual people in our society are those who have turned against God. They have no use for God, whether they're scientists or maybe surgeons of some sort, or perhaps maybe to me the headiest of all the space people that figure out all of that, and yet they have little time or use for God. The Bible is mostly an outdated book, maybe full of myths and man's ideas, not really reliable because it's not provable, it's not verifiable. There's no way we can know that all these things and stories and miracles and like the resurrection of the virgin birth. I mean, how do you prove that? So because they cannot intellectually assent to all of that and agree with that, they just set it aside as a book for religious people, but they don't need it. And therefore, they live an ignorant life. They're ignorant. They're ignorant because they have no truth. And they begin saying things like there is no God. There's no use for God. There's no need of God. Because they are ignorant. Now, they're not dumb. They're not mentally handicapped. They have made a choice in their life not to give heed to what God has to say. They have evaluated it. It didn't make sense. It didn't fit into their program. And therefore, they reject it. Paul wrote this. said, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translate us into the kingdom of his dear son? According to the Bible, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Now, if darkness and blindness are synonymous, and they are, and the devil is the author of darkness, because he was referred to as the power of darkness here, then that which brings darkness is the devil. You know that. And when people are blind, it's because they have been made to be blind. Sometimes it's judgment. You know, a man reproved often and hardened his neck. There's no remedy in Proverbs 29 and verse 1. There's no remedy. There's a time that even God gives you over to your passions and your sins, and you can never be saved. That's judgment. That's the last point. But ignorance shouldn't have to be. I mean, we got a world full of books. We got a world full of libraries. And this computer age with all the information that is out there today, people shouldn't be ignorant. There's so much light that's available because God's word is light. God is light himself. And light is contrasted with darkness throughout the Bible. I mean, God gives light. The interest of his word gives light. It shows you how to live. Now, if you don't know how to live, you're living, but you don't know how to live. You're living in ignorance. Now, that's not a compliment. Nobody wants to listen to that message either. But it's true. It's true. I was in church my whole life, whether my, my daddy's church or my mother's church. I had the whole package, Protestant and Catholic. And I walked in darkness all of my childhood. My eyes had never been open to the truth. I heard sermons. I heard stories. I entertained stories. I thought about stories, walking on the water, the wise men, the manger. I thought about all of that, but it had no effect on how I lived. It didn't keep me from doing wrong. It was not a factor in my life. And I lived in the lust of my flesh until I got saved. 
because I lived in ignorance. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, his ignorance becomes his sin. And his sin leads to his judgment. And God is fair because the grace of God that brings salvation has been given to all men. There's enough light been given to this whole creation that they're all guilty. All we like sheep, the Bible said, have gone astray. There's not a righteous one amongst us. We're all doomed because of our choices. God has said something, we have rejected it. God has spoken, we have disregarded it. God has said, this is the way, walk in, and a passionate message that touched your heart, and you got over it, and you left it. And you were doomed and assigned to live in ignorance. Oh, you're smart enough. I mean, nobody's going to question your ABCs. But spiritually speaking, you're blind. One of the things that Paul said that he was sent into the world as an apostle to do was to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Because when people are walking in darkness, they're walking under the power of Satan. The Bible speaks of one time the Pharisees who had trouble with everything that Jesus said. They want to counter everything he said. They want to disagree with him and, and question it. You know what Jesus said about the Pharisees? There came a point in which he said, leave them alone. Evangelism wasn't intended for those people. They're not on the list. Jesus said, leave them alone. Because he said they are like the blind who lead the blind. And what happens to the blind people? They fall into a ditch, which is a way of speaking of judgment. We live in a world of darkness. The whole world lieth under the power of Satan, the Bible says. And what a dreadful verse. It says he goes about to deceive the whole world. Jesus said darkness is coming and work while you can because darkness is coming when you will not be able to. So we're living in a time, I think, in which, especially in Christian circles, which is what I'm interested in. I know the rest of the world's in darkness. But Christians, the people for whom Christ died, it seemed like there is a darkness that is beginning to creep over. People are being misled and mistaught. Like the Bible said, they turn away their ears from the truth and they turn aside to fables and they look for the church of fables where it's fun, where there's comfort and happiness, where you're entertained well and you feel good about being in there, but you learn nothing and nothing is given that finds its lodging place in your heart to keep you from going astray. You're religious, but you're lost. Is it possible that you can be in church your whole life and be lost? Now, I know you don't want to answer that because you're nice and all of that, but, but I'll answer it for you. Of course you can. Let's define ignorance before we go any further. Ignorance is simply a lack of knowledge or information. It's just a lack of knowledge or information. Some people are ignorant because they've never been taught. They've never been in a place where the information given, the Word of God, was attached to a lot of great value and honor. I mean, you've got to have this. You need to know this. You need to live this way. Listen to me. Pay attention to what you hear. Give the more earnest heed to what you're hearing because this is essential to live with God. This information is. And when this information finds a lodging place in your heart and your will embraces it, it's working. You're being loose from the old way to live a new way. I think Jesus said, ye shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? It'll make you free. As I've said before, we weren't free when we came to Jesus. We were saved. But there's a lot of bondage in our lives, a lot of darkness. We were all mistaught for me. I was mistaught for 28 years. But I didn't have a lot to overcome because I never learned anything. It was still an empty void there, and everything was still new to me then. But Jesus tells us that we all, when we come to him, we all need to be refined. We all need to be changed. Yes, you got a new heart, you got a new spirit, but you've also got the same brain. That vain part of your life is your mind because it thinks against God, because it was trained to. 
Like Paul said, quit being like the world, thinking like the world, and being formed by the world, and having all your dreams broken by the world, and disappointed by the world's gloomy... Quit being like that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I thought I was... You were born again. You became a new creature right here. But this thing here is your enemy. It fights you your whole life. Because God said... This is the way you walk in it, and your mind says, well, that doesn't make any sense. That unrefined thing that was inhabiting in your mind, if you listen to it, it'll keep you from walking with the Lord. There's a struggle that goes on here. Something has to be changed over. And this changing over is a Christian message of dying to self. Your biggest problem is you. We said that the other day. The problem that I see standing here for a hundred years, looking at people, most of my adult life, doing what I'm doing, most of it, more of this than anything else, is that people can hear, they have ears, and they can listen, they can watch, but they just don't seem to get it. It doesn't register as vital or essential. I must have this. It's not something that really just controls people's lives and, and takes them somewhere. Take the word ignorance again. It comes to the word ignore. Ignorance springs from ignore. Now, do Christians ever ignore the word? Well, I suspect that they have if they don't. These are dictionary words. The word ignore means to disregard. I heard what you said. But I'm tired of hearing that same thing over and over and over and over. Even though I haven't got it yet, even though there's no evidence of it controlling my life, I'm tired of listening to it. So you disregard it. Because in your estimation, the way you think, and the vanity of your mind, you hear what God said, you hear what the preacher said, and you begin to mull it around in your mind, and you don't see how that is such a big deal in your life, the way you live. And why should I just suddenly change over to live this way or walk that way? I mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because you don't understand it. Now, understanding means your eyes get open, and as the psalmist said, you behold wondrous things from the law. Oh. It's not a thing you fight and question. It's something you gladly receive. But this word ignore simply means to disregard, to refrain from noticing or recognizing. To refrain from recognizing or noticing. It's what happens. Anytime we begin to disregard, set aside, put less necessary emphasis on the Word of God is when your life begins to drift. It begins to go in different directions. The devil always reminds you how much you know and how smart you are spiritually. Oh, you heard that. Oh, you were there in the heyday when he was preaching. When, you, when that movement took, boy you, boy, you were there. Oh, you were there. And some people have gotten so far away from living that way, but they remember that way because the devil gives them that. Because people are somehow convinced that if I was there 30 years ago and I sat under somebody and I heard this and I've got that tape and I'm all right, even though your life is not a testimony today of living right. Your life is a Titus 1.16 thing. You speak in the right words, but your works deny the Lord. What you're doing, the way you're living, the choices you're making show that the effect of those words aren't controlling your life. You just remember somebody said it, but not the power that it should have had to change your life. You've got a lot of that in the world today. A lot of people who were religious years ago found the Lord in some dynamic and wonderful way, but have let things drift. And what you don't know is that ignorance comes in a little package like that. It comes in little by little sometimes, and it begins to say, like, hath God said, do we really have to do that? Is that really all that big a deal? I mean, is it really necessary that we have to be in church? I mean, 
Do we really have to read or pray? I mean, do we have to do that? And so you start thinking like that because that's how vain the human mind is when it's not changed. It challenges, it contrasts itself against God. It's, it's like that because it's the only thing in your life the devil's got to work with is your mind. There is nothing else in your life he can get to you through except your mind. We call it self, the soul. And he tries to appeal with natural things. And when natural things come, they have more sensibility than maybe spiritual things. Because the devil today talks like, do you really think it's such a big, I mean, come on. Hey, after all, I mean, come on. That kind of talk is disarming people and settling them back into a place where it's not so big a deal to have to hear the word. And they begin to do the things the way they used to do, which they did in ignorance, and ignorance comes back. It's a disregard for God, a lack of information. Five years from now, a trouble comes, a difficult time comes, and the only thing that would deliver you is the word of God, and you've gave it up. Doesn't the Bible say we should give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard less? At any time, what happens? The word slips. You can't remember it. You've never taken much interest in memorizing it or trying to put a bunch of verses together in your mind as a mental exercise. Never tried to memorize all the apostles or the books of the Bible or tribes of Israel or the Ten Commandments. I mean, a lot of people never take much time just to memorize things like that, just to think about that, spending time acquainting yourself with the Word of God. Oh, that's not a big deal. I think anytime you spend time with the Lord and you think about spiritual things, I think it's a pretty good deal. I do. I think it's a bargain. But a lot of people don't need that. I don't need that. That's not necessary. They'll sit up all night and do this or play this or go there and do that, but they won't spend hardly any time mentally with God. Or they depend on the preacher to do all that for them. Or they count on sitting under him or going to that church and I'll be all right. And yet, you've got to acquire for yourself, all of you do, you've got to acquire for yourself what God wants you to know. Nobody can know it for you. The preacher can't learn you. He can only proclaim to you. Learning is choice. And ignorance is a choice. For a lot of people. Some people don't know any better in some countries. They've never known anything. They can't rebel. They don't know, wouldn't know how because they're, they're kept in darkness. Who's behind ignorance? Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. Well, the devil is. You said a while ago, well, yeah, he is. But let me just show you where it says specifically about, well, ignorance and darkness. Because, again, they go together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, that is, you can't see it, it is hid to those who are lost. Do your Bible say that? Yes. Let me ask you a question before we go on, because if I keep asking questions, you'll keep thinking about it, and then you'll learn something. To whom does the Bible say the gospel is not seeable? The lost. Can he hear it? I mean, he can sit in church and listen to words, can he? He can fill out the little study guide. He can go through all of that, but he never connects with it. It's not understood. Jesus said in the sower of the seed, when some seed falls in certain places and the man whom it fell on understood it not, didn't spend any time with it, didn't try to comprehend it, figure it out, what's the application here you're talking about? How should I see this? He doesn't take any time with his mind to do that. His mind remains in control of the old ways, and therefore he's talked out of the truth. His mind becomes his enemy if it's not changed. Like the Paul said, you've got to be changed in the spirit of your mind. But go on. Verse 4. In whom, that's the lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Let me ask you a question. Are there those in any church anywhere on planet Earth that believe not? 
that when you find a person who believes not, why does he believe not? Would you agree with me that he'd been blinded? That the truth that would set a man free cannot be seen, even though they have eyes to see? Five or six times that phrase is used in the Bible, they have eyes to see, but they can't see. They have ears to hear, but they can't hear. Only God can open eyes, and only God can open ears, and only God can show you things. Revelation is entirely the priority of God. Paul said to that church in Ephesians, in chapter 1, he said, I pray that God will give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may see, which also means to know, which meant you may know, which means to see. That there will be this wonderful transition as you come and attend and as you listen, as you pray, and as there's a hunger in your heart, that you'll transition yourself from an old, I'm just a church member way to something that sees the need here to be more than what you were. And God begins to open the eyes and draw you away from darkness because darkness has a grip on people. They live in darkness. The Bible said in John 1, they love darkness more than they do light. Jesus was the light of the world. They hated him. They'll hate us for it. We'll say what's true, and the world will laugh at us and mock us. Second Chronicles 26, they mocked the prophets, and God said, that's it. You're done. The word toast is not used in the Bible. You're toast. It doesn't say that, but... That's how I would apply it. There's nothing more precious in this hour. There's no greater thing that God can give to the church than the revelation of his word. Because that is the one single thing that God watches over to do. It's the one single thing that God said can save you. The washing of water by the word. And it's the only thing it can make you free, deliver you from the bondages of your past, the ways of your mind and the dreadful things you've done and you held in guilt and everything. You don't know you've been free. You can be free. The mind plays games with people. And yet, if you don't know what the Word of God says, you're held in ignorance. But he said again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, he said, Read it again. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Is, is that true with you? I don't know. I mean, you know. Lest the light of the glorious gospel, the good news of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Would that change you? Boy, it sure would. Because he goes on to say, you know, we're being hit this way and we're being rocked that way and knocked this way, but we're never out. We're never down. We always get up. Why? Because we know something greater than what we feel or what we think. We know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. We know that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. We know, we know, we know, we know because he showed us these things. But if you don't listen, you've heard this before, but nothing changes because darkness prevails. It does. If we walk in the light as he is the light, then it should be evident that some great and wonderful change has taken place in our life. We're not liked more. Probably just the opposite. We go from a good old boy to a, a saint. From a gob to a saint. Because of the change that God brings. And he brings it with light. The entrance of his word. He shines his light into our heart. We begin to see what he is saying. Things begin to happen. Then why would so many churches be left, or so many people in so many churches, so many professing Christians in any, anywhere? Why is it that they can never seem to get over the hump? Always wanting to fight, argue, disagree, can't get along cannot believe, don't want to trust God, living in fear and dread and doubt of tomorrow and yesterday. They've been in church their whole life, and they live like this. 
Is it Isaiah 8.20? He said, have they been listening to darkness? God said, if they speak not, Isaiah 8.20, God said, if they speak not according to this word, they who are speaking have no light. Now, if what is coming to you that you chose to come in here, if what is coming to you is not light, what is it? It's darkness. And I'll tell you what, again, in John 1, people love darkness better than they do light. Light means exposure. Amen. You know, you get older, if you've got a bathroom that's got a light on it, when you get older, you want to turn the light off. You know why? Because the light illumines things. You see things. You know, I told Bonnie one day, I was looking in the mirror, I said, you know, I'm, I'm getting ugly as I get older. And she said, I see you with my heart. You know. But when you turn on the light, oh, whoa, oh, turn it off. Well, spiritually, don't you think the same thing happens? When you bring yourself before the word of God and God turns a word on like a light and you begin to see, what do you see? Well, you see what he has to say. And then reflected back to you is how you're so different. And then the question is, are you willing to make a decision to change your life and conform yourself to this image? Are you willing? Because if you don't, then you just made a decision to disregard what God said and more or less remain as you are. And you're the same way now. You'll be that way 20 years from now, the Lord tarries. This is the great problem that's in the church. It's not easy to deal with. It's easy to say all of this, sort of. But people don't respond because it's hard to think that that could refer to me. That I am, after all these years, I'm not better than I was. I don't know. I don't know. Being better than you were may be better in your own eyes. But the terrible thing is that when you set aside the word, when you no longer want to hear it, it has dreadful consequences. Let me share with you some of them. Turn to Hosea, if you can find it. Hosea chapter 4. Hosea, Joel, Amos. If you see one of those words, you're really close, okay? Hosea chapter 4. And verse 6, I would like to think that all of you have heard of this verse. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Does your Bible say that? He continues on with the judgment here, and he says to the priest, if you're not going to preach the word to my people and declare the truth, you're not going to be my priest. And hey, parents, if you're not going to teach these things to your children, then I'm going to reject your children. Would he do that? Or is this just something we read and just disregard? Did it say at the end of that verse that if we don't regard his word, that he won't regard our children as parents? Well, then it's sometime of the things that happen to our kids is our fault. They say, oh, no, it's not. Yes, it is, too. Yes, it is, too. God made a promise that if we'll do things we should do, say what we ought to say, that it'll be well with us and our children after us. And if we neglect, disregard, or set aside what he said specifically to make things work for our families, if we don't do that and just assume it'll be all right anyway, it doesn't turn out that way. I've been here too long. Been through this before. There's been some dark days in many of our lives over stuff like this. But the point of it is, the people of God, whom this should never be said of, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Take today, right now, as we speak. After all these years of talking about thousands of promises, the message of faith and its wonderful consequences, even though the people that failed have a louder voice than the people who have succeeded, and all the wonderful promises that have been made, the testimonies of victory and, and peace and joy and whatever you put your hand to will prosper. And all of these promises, all these wonderful blessings 
as you go out, as you come in, whatever you do, in spite of all of that, God's people are still robbed. They still grieve. They still complain. They still whine. They're still down in the dumps. They're still cast down. They still fall away in spite of the fact that that has been told them. Now, there's a kind of ignorance that we're talking about here. You shouldn't have this kind of stuff in your life. You shouldn't be living on this level. What if I told you this morning that the level of living that God has for us is the abundant life? It doesn't mean you won't have problems and trouble. You're going to be tested. Of course you will. There's going to be times you're going to have to walk it out. You're going to have to stay with it. Most people I've ever known have been talked out of that. They just talk them out of that, and then they come and hear a sermon about why you shouldn't do that, and then they feel offended, like, well, you're preaching at me, and then they want to leave. The mind is a terrible, terrible enemy in your life. But anyway, anyway. He said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I wonder if anybody ever taught these people. You suppose in Hosea 4 and verse 6, you reckon these people were ever taught? He said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Were they ever taught? Did anybody ever teach them? Well, if somebody taught them, how could they not know anything? All of you. If somebody did teach them, God had teaching priests. That was one of the big deals about Israel. The priests were teachers. They were to teach and explain the law to the people. Well, if they did that, how then could the people have no knowledge? How is it they have no knowledge? Y'all still got your Bible open there? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh-oh, because thou hast what? Because thou hast rejected knowledge, that's the problem, isn't it? They were taught. How many hundreds of people have I known in my lifetime in Shelbyville that were taught? They were. If they were here once, they heard something. There was some kind of information that God brings specifically to them. Everybody in this room, everybody will get something. Maybe not the same thing, but everybody will get something. God gave some measure of something to all of us. Now, that doesn't mean you'll heed it. That doesn't mean it'll work for you. Because if the word you hear is not mixed with faith, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't work. But you heard it. Isn't that right? You heard it. How about the people of Jesus' day? Did they hear him? When he went to the cross, how many were left? Twelve? And his mother? Where were all these thousands of people that listened to the Sermon on the Mount and all these villages all over Israel where he taught? He was a teacher. Where were all of these people at the end of his life? How did it come to just twelve people? What happened to the knowledge? They had some bit of knowledge, didn't they? Why is it my people are destroyed? Look at verse 6 again. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject you. Is that fair? Folks, I ask the folks over in England. They're listening. Is it fair? Is it fair if God arranges on this earth prior to the coming of Jesus to get his people ready? If he puts it in our heart to assemble somewhere and hear the word, and yet the word they heard did not profit them, it's not God's fault. Now, is God fair if he judges us for that? It's fair. God's fair. There's no unfairness with the Lord. Nobody made me come here this morning. Nobody's going to make me leave. I'm going to come because of a choice. I'm going to leave because of a choice. I live by choices. 
You could sit there this morning, any of you, and say, I hear what you're saying, and my choice is that I don't want to agree with that. I'm not going to heed that right now. I'm going to put that on my shelf, along with all the other stuff I've heard for 20 years. You can do that. That's your life. That's how a man thinks when his mind is remaining as it used to be. He's still the Lord of his life, not Jesus. There's not a surrender here to the power of his word to change his life and make him free because if it doesn't fit in his program, he sort of uh, neutralizes whatever was said by making some excuse or saying, well, you know, that's his version. That's his opinion. Just one more man has a different view than the other man across here. Who's right? Well, the Bible's right. You don't believe what a man said. Because they rejected knowledge, Seeing, as he goes on to say, seeing is how thou hast forgotten the law of God. And you went to all those sacrifices. You carried your goat and your sheep and your chickens and your doves or whatever they took to the priest. You went through all the ritual, the church ritual and the routine. You did all of that as a good religious member of whatever you were in. And yet you found yourself so many times offended by the word of God. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples once about something he said. He said, does this offend you? These are words of life. They offend a lot of people because in their way of thinking, I have figured out the way I want to live, and I don't want anybody fooling with it, especially don't want some preacher. Well, it's not the preacher's problem. It's the word of God's problem. Forget the preacher. He's just a man like you are, or I'm not a woman like you are, but I'm just a human being. In the book of Job, it says, Therefore they say unto God, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. That could be a very modern statement. Depart from us. That's Job 21. We desire not the knowledge of thy ways. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. I know you have one. Look in Romans chapter 1, at the end of the chapter. Verse 28, towards the end of it. Verse 27 is politically incorrect to talk about. He's talking about homosexuals who leave the natural use and so forth. And you know why they want to argue and parade these people who have been rejected like they have been? You know what it says in verse 28? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what did God do? Did he give them over? He gave them over to do the things they were doing, the things that are going to judge them. All right, do it. They didn't like to retain God in their knowledge either because of conviction. You see, every man has a conscience. Every man has a siren on the inside of a man or woman. We're made like this. Something that alerts us to wrong. When God teaches you something right, you got a new siren. What happens when you violate that? The thing goes off. What's the purpose of it? To correct you. You're about to sin. Sin's going to bring judgment in your life. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't add to that. Don't go there. Don't wear that. Don't look at that. Because he that knoweth to do good, but he disregards the warning and does it anyway, to him it's sin. God has every right in the world to judge sin. Oh, he's long-suffering. And thank God for that. Let me tell you something. Let me take a side trip here for just a moment. There are three things that accompany every lost man in this world, whether in the church or out of the church. Three things that lost people do. You young preachers, this is a sermon in itself. Three stages. One, they neglect the word. They neglect the word. This is all in Hebrews, too. Then they refuse it. I, I, don't, I, 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 ain't do, I ain't going to do that. And then they despise it. You know what God called despising him? If you're still familiar with the story, in Malachi chapter 2, they offered to God rotten sacrifices, broken leg, sick animals. Remember that? And God said to those people who offered that, why do you despise me? 
and being good religious people. They say, we don't despise you, Lord. This animal's still alive. It's got blood in it. God said, you know better than that. And the very fact that you have an attitude of coming before me with that presentation only proves in the eyes of God that you despise him. Not only disregard and neglect, but just despise. Every lost person does this. To some degree, some more, some more extreme than others, but all lost people do that. Neglect, refuse, and despise. Can you find Zechariah, the next to the last book in the Old Testament? If you can't find where the New Testament starts, then go back one book, and you'll find Zechariah. Look at chapter 7. This is why judgment came. Zechariah chapter 7. And verse 11. But they refused to hearken. This is when God spoke. He gave them a right way. Told them this is what will get you saved and get you in good standing with the Lord. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. What will that do to you? It will bring judgment. I'm not saying that I know people that do that today, but it certainly seems like there's a multitude of so-called Christian people who live like this. If they don't want to hear some things, they're not going to hear it. If you're going to preach against Halloween, that they won't come to church. You think, how can a church stoop to that level to tell people that it's all right to celebrate a witch's holiday when the major player is the devil and fear and scary things? Who in the world told you that's okay to teach a church? To have a Halloween haunted house in the church building? I still remember driving up in Indianapolis years ago, and there was this great big Baptist church, big fundamental Baptist church. It could have been a Methodist because they do it. In the All of them do. But this one I knew of, and they had a big haunted house. I know you know better than that. Why would you do that? Does the mind lower itself to the place where it begins to say, Oh, it's just for the kiddies. It's no big deal. Do we begin to reason within ourselves like that and reason out the word of God? Because if you say, oh, no, I'm not going to. That's not in the Bible. That's not the word of God. Then what are you viewed as? Man, we could have a good church if you weren't in it. They don't like a stand. They don't like the stand that you take. Listen, Zachariah again. They refuse to hear. They pulled away the shoulder. They stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. That must be a pretty hard stone. Lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of the host has sent in by his spirit and the former prophets. They wouldn't hear it and therefore what happened? A great wrath came upon people from the Lord. I'm going to tell you today, that's going to happen again in a, in a sleeping church. Mark my words. That again, there'll be a day in which God in the last days poured out his spirit and the word was given. And then an event's going to take place. The people that got that word and kept that word and held that word in their heart and let that word do their work are going to be lifted off this earth. Oh, I don't believe that. You will. Then all of those that are left, the Bible talks about a time they shall run to and fro throughout the whole earth seeking to find the word of God. God has sent a famine in the land. They won't be able to find the word. Then they will begin to realize in their ignorance they have lost grip on their life because what they thought was so important to do with your life and all your choices is meaningless now. The house, the car, the clothes, the trips, the money, it is absolutely worthless in the last days because none of it can save you. None of it. People that are in the church in those days will come to that time in their life through their ignorance. You didn't have to be that ignorant. You could have learned. God taught you something. You could have given heed to it. You could have been ready for this, made the adjustments in your life. You heard it. You heard the word, but you didn't do anything with it. And a fair and just God says, all right, when it comes, you won't hear it more. You didn't want to hear it then. 
You won't hear it anymore. It won't bother you anymore. I want you to see this, Psalms 50. Psalms 50. Listen to what God said beginning in verse 16. Psalms 50 and verse 16. But unto the wicked. Let me ask you a question before I start. The designation wicked. Now, I don't want to go through a definition of all of that, but anything that is in disagreement with God has a design in life different than God's is wicked. Would you agree to some degree? Nice wickedness and bad wickedness. Would you say that sin is wicked? I'd say that anything that is sinful is wicked, was inspired by something wicked. Would you agree? All right. Now let's read verse 16. But unto the wicked God saith, what have you to do with to declare my statutes? Or that you should take my covenant in your mouth. What about a wicked preacher? Could there be people in the pulpit that are not sincere? Not called. This is a job. It has benefits and perks. And the bigger the congregation, the bigger the perks, the better the job, the nicer the parsonage. I'm talking to you all. Is it possible that ministerially speaking, that being a pastor becomes a job? You're hired. You're given a certain amount of money to do it. You function as a job. You go to work. You do things. The people tell you what to do. And you have a congregational meetings and they vote and, and you get this. And if you'll come there, they'll give you this. Could a man do that with an eye on advancing himself? If I can get this little church to grow, I'll look good in somebody else's eyes at a bigger church, and maybe they'll hire me there. Is it possible? Man, I've been around a long time. I've seen too many things to know that that's wrong. I've met some of them, talked to them. They start out little, and they want to work to that big downtown church. So they use you, make you like them. And then the testimony is, oh, we just love him. Well, he didn't love you. He was using you to get a better place. Oh, that sounds rude to me. Well, it may sound rude, but it's true. And so it could be he's saying this to them. Let me see. Let me, let's try that. But unto the wicked, God said, what have you to do to declare my statutes? You don't even believe them. You don't live them yourself. You don't trust God yourself. What are you doing telling people stuff like that? Verse 17, seeing thou hatest instruction, and you cast my words behind thee. That's why people are ignorant. That's why darkness prevails over people, because instead of light, they get darkness, and they love darkness better than light. light. They do. That's the way it is with so many people. Secondly, this is an effect of ignorance. Second is Isaiah chapter 5. Go back again to the middle, pretty much in the middle, to the right a little bit. Isaiah chapter 5, listen to this verse. My people have gone into captivity, therefore my people are gone into captivity because of what? They have no knowledge. Well, could you be held captive by ignorance? Okay, then ignorance is a power. The title of the message. There is a power that ignorance has over people that keeps them from becoming what God says they should become. God said, this is the way you walk in it. The devil said, no, no, you don't have to do that. That's, that's just legalism. And people believe that. But when they die, when they're judged, that God is fair, you say, I told you the right way. You knew what I said. And he said there in that verse, my people are gone into captivity. The word captivity is a word which means going to exile, like whenever they were captured by another country. They've gone into captivity. They become under the oversight of somebody else. Often it had to do when they captured people to humiliate them, to keep them from becoming a foe again, they stripped them. They went naked and barely clothed. It was shameful. But they prayed them like that, and people laughed and mocked at them and all of that. But they took the spirit out of people whenever they did that. Well, in a spiritual sense, if you're believing something that somebody told you that the Bible says is not true, if you're following things because of your own mental designs and not what the Bible says, what do you have? You have nothing. You have little of nothing. 
even the rich and famous. Go to the right one book, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5. What a chapter, Jeremiah 5. Here's what he says about those who lack knowledge or going to captivity. Jeremiah chapter 5, follow me. Verse 1, run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, Shelbyville, or anywhere else, seeking the broad places thereof. If you can find a man there, if there be any man that executes judgment, he's fair, that seeks the truth, and I'll pardon it. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear like falsely. Oh, the Lord, praise the Lord. They don't mean it. They don't mean it. Verse 3, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore, I said, surely these are poor. These are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. Let me ask you all something. Can that apply to the rich and famous? Can you be rich and famous and be poor? You know another place that says that? Laodicean Church. They said, we have this, we have that. Our barns are filled. I'm making this up. My barns are filled. We got plenty of money in the bank. We don't need anybody. We don't need anything. We are quite the stuff. You know what the Lord said to him? You know not that you're poor. You got money, but you're poor. You're wretched. You're naked. I mean, you're shameful in the eyes of God. And you're blind. With all your successes, all your man-made successes and the books you've written and all the great approval and all the acclaim of the Christian world, you're poor and you're wretched and you're naked and you're blind. Why would God say that? Because spiritually they were ignorant. They made no application of his word in the doing of all these things because if they had, they wouldn't boast of it. It would all be glory to God. Like he said to Jeremiah, all of these things that people are talking about and all these things that people are doing. He said, the great men, they're poor and they are foolish because they don't know the way of God. Think of how many people in this world qualify. Their dream is the successes of this world having, being, becoming. They've lived a life of energetic pursuit of all these things. And yet they don't know the Lord. And they've wasted their whole life. You realize if you don't have the Lord, you have nothing. You brought nothing into this world. You can take nothing out of it. The man who worked hard and made $10 million or $100 million, you could pack all of that, all of his gold and silver, just certificates of deposit. You could pack them in his, get him a king-size coffin double wide pullouts and fill it full of all his treasures and bury him in the ground. And you know who gets it? Bugs. You brought nothing into this life. You can take nothing out of it. And the greatest hope in this life is that Jesus Christ will save you. Because if you don't get that, you're nothing. And if you say he saved you, but you don't change, he didn't. If you're not a new creature, you're still the way you were. Amen. Don't look at me like I'm, I'm being hard on you because I am not. Go back to Ephesians 4 and I'm going to close with this. In verse 18, a third thing that shows the power of ignorance is separation. Separation from God. What an awful, awful thing. Yet it doesn't mean much to a lot of people who have never known God. They'd never had a relationship with him. They'd never experienced his goodness. They would never say in a time of stress, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. They'd never known anything about it. They never had that in their life. They don't miss hearing the word of God and they miss church. They get used to doing that. They don't go much anymore. Then they hear things. It's just another word. Nothing is happening because they have set aside, they have neglected, they have 
peace with themselves that I'm okay, I don't need all of that, and they're ignorant. And the one who controls people through ignorance is the devil. And again, in 18, we start our sermon with this, having the understanding darkened means you can't get it. You don't understand it. Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God through what? Does your Bible say ignorance? As I told you when I started, this verse is loaded. Can I be through my ignorance and denial and rejection and refusal and resistance to the word of God? Can I cut myself off from the life of God by doing that? I can. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. As I said earlier, too, you know, you who were sometimes enemies in your mind and cut off from the Lord, you're the one he saved. But your blindness and your cutting yourself off is what means there's no life of God in you. You can be very religious. You can preach sermons without being born again. How many of you know you can train me how to do this and I can do it? Obviously, I never was trained, so we get past that. But you can train a person how to do this and they can do it. They don't believe in nothing but themselves. But he said, you're cut off from the life of God. Alienated means cut off from the life of God through ignorance because of the blindness of your heart. I think it'd be one of the most dreadful things in my life. At the end of my life, when I go to stand before the Lord, I think one of the worst things that I can think of to answer for was why my people were in such darkness. And I say to the Lord, I can't make them learn. I can't make these people listen. I can get red in the face and jump up and down and holler and act like halfway a fool to try to get their attention, but I can't make them learn. Only God can open a man's heart and make him see what was said. And that is a treasure that will not be taken from a man. We said that last week about Mary, remember? So our coming together, especially today in this hour, in this time in history, is real important. No need to hurry. No need to try to get through this so we can get a good place in a restaurant because this is manna from heaven. This is what will get us right with the Lord and bring us through and keep us from judgment. He that knoweth is he that groweth, and he that knoweth and groweth is he that is going to make it at the end. I can't think of anything more important than at the end of your life or mine or anybody else's. At the end of your life, to stand before the Lord and him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Quite a price you paid, but you prayed it. Amen? Amen? Bow your head with me for a minute. Now, I know while you're sitting there with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you're alone now with your thoughts. There's others around you, but nobody knows what you're thinking now except God. Now, in light of what you hear, what you've heard, of the tug at your heart right now, in the wonderful and peculiar way that God draws you towards him, will you let go of the world to come to him? Will you come to him just as that song says, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me? O Lamb of God, I come. Can you say that if you've never done that? And if you have done that, but you're dragging this morning, you're dragging your feet. Can you right now, where you are, make a decision? Can you respond to God? Has he given you that? Can you say, Lord, I'm going to straighten up today. I'm going to fly right. I want to do right. See, this is a moment you can do that. This moment may not be here tomorrow. It may not be here this evening, but it's here now. It's right now. So I want to encourage you, whoever you are, all of you, if it's all of us, to reaffirm yourself as a Christian and your need for Christ and his way. 
And be careful about saying, well, I'm not quite ready for this. If you weren't, he wouldn't talk to you. It may be now. And if it is, this is something you can do where you are. But if you do it, we have to know it because you can't cover your light. You confess and you proclaim before all. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, grant that your word will have its tug and its pull and its power and its might in the lives of all of us here now. That none of us will go home today with the idea that I heard nothing. And whatever we heard, may we deal with it. These are your people. They're the sheep of your pasture. I ask you to do whatever it is that you do with these people, to bring them to where you want them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O my God, with all of my Teach me thy ways, O oh Lord.